This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Now we're in alert level two and life is slowly returning to some kind of normal, but anxiety among children and parents may persist after seven weeks of full or partial lockdown. Psychologist Sarah Johal says this may take the form of not wanting to get too close to people, poor sleep or a lingering sense of dread. And of course all this just as preschools and schools prepare to reopen. Uh, he's here with, here with some strategies. Saab, welcome. Sure, Catherine. What are the ways in which people may still be feeling anxious or I guess almost just very tentative about some kind of transition to to different life? Yeah, sure. So let's start off with a couple of examples. Um, so if you imagine that you're in a, uh, a car and you're doing 100 kilometres an hour down the highway and you see an accident, uh, you probably slow down. Uh, you probably have a little bit of a look to see what's going on. And then you might be thinking, oh, okay, this seems a little bit dangerous. Um, I might slow down for a little while. And you slow down for a little while, and probably you might do that if you're really lucky for five minutes. And then you'll speed up again. Because what you want is to be getting on with your day. Uh, and so for a moment, what we, what we see here is that your bubble of invulnerability has been punctured. You're drawn to the danger. You see the danger. You change your behavior to adapt to that danger, but then it gets in the way of you trying to live your life, and so you carry on with living your life. What we're experiencing here is that we've extended out that five minutes to seven weeks. We've seen the accident. We've changed our behavior to take account of the danger that's around us, and now we're being asked to speed up again. We need this sort of sense of order and continuity of experience to be able to get on with our lives, and that's been ruptured. So we will get back, but it is going to take some work and we'll constantly be reminded of that danger because we've been asked to pivot from a mindset of acting like we have the coronavirus and avoiding all unnecessary contact to being able to be near people again, albeit with physical distancing measures and washing our places. So we're going to need a bit of guidance and we're going to need a bit of flexibility as to how to behave to in, order, in order for us to get that sense of psychological safety again. And that really is the key thing for children going back to school and, and for preschools, but also parents as well. It's rebuilding that sense of psychological safety as we emerge back into a social world. Have we, has that amygdala, that famous amygdala that's on the look for um, fight or flight and is always on the look for threats, has it been highly activated and will it remain vigilant for a time? Well, to be... Level three and four probably helped us to calm that down a little bit. So as we kind of started into that, um, then yes, our amygdala and our fight and flight response was probably firing and, and making us very much aware of all the dangers that were around us. But then as we settled into level four and then level three, actually we've got a bit of a routine going for many of us and we felt safe in our bubbles. But now as we emerge out of our bubbles, we're also emerging into an information context, which is changed. You know, we were all getting the same information. At one o'clock, we'd see the prime minister or another minister, and we'd see a leading public civil servant explaining the situation uh, and letting us know what it is that we needed to do. 
we're now going into a place where we had a very shared convergent mental model about what was going on and what we need to do into an area where we may be getting really divergent messages, not intentionally. So I don't know about you, but I've been getting so many emails from council, from companies that I've given my email to, from schools, from kindy, all telling me what they're doing and what it is that I need to do uh, or my children need to do in order to stay safe. And we're trying to make sense of all of this. So we're really being deluged by a lot of information right now. Some of that will be um, overlapping and it says the same thing. Some of it will be slightly contradictory and some of it will have gaps. So we're trying to make sense of all of that. And all of this time, our amygdalas are going, all of our limbic system is going, okay, this seems like a different, this seems like a bit of a threat possibly because the information has changed. I'm trying to make sense of this. So yeah, anxiety is a response to threat. And it's normal uh, as we move from one environment to another. So it's different from having an anxiety disorder. Anxiety, I think, is actually something that's very realistic. And it's really only going to go away once we start really thinking about what do we need to create psychological safety so that we don't, we're not paralyzed by worry. And particularly for children, you know, it's, I have a lot of sympathy for people who say we need to strike the balance between getting back to the curriculum and the structure and the predictability that helps children to learn and to um, calm down their anxiety, but also understanding that they need some room to process this, this, this different environment that they find themselves in. Even though it's familiar, they're gonna, it's going to feel quite different for them. Um, and so creating that sense of psychological safety and giving them space to process is an equally important task as well as the work that they're going to be doing. Makes so much sense. And the interesting thing that you point out is it's not like we've suddenly emerged and we're going to revert to what was. There still are rules. There still are um, the distancing that we're trying to explain to children and the and the and you know the hygiene and the hand washing that we're trying to change. So there's they still know that something is out there that we are all managing. So it's kind of nuanced, isn't it? It's it's look, things are going really well and we can get back to doing a lot of the things that, that are important and that we love doing. But with these rules, it's a really nuanced message. How do you convey it? And that's a bigger word than how do you say it? Yeah, it's, it, and it's going to be really, really tricky. And to a certain extent, we're all going to have different needs around what it is that we are going to um, require or seek out in order for us to feel safe. So for a lot of people, um, what's underlying this is a need for certainty. Uh, and this constant uh, seeking of information that is going to make you feel like um, the world is more predictable and I'm going to be able to deal with this. Now, it's not too different from normal life in that we can never get complete certainty. And for some people, that's really troubling. But in this case, the thing that we need certainty about is named. It's very much front and centre. And so even though we may have like an hour or two where we're not reminded about what's going on around us and the wider context, something will happen. Uh, like you'll go to a meeting, somebody will perhaps reach out and offer to shake their hand and both of you will pull away at the same time. And you're reminded, oh, okay, so we're not supposed to be doing that. Oh, for a second, I forgot there. And we'll have many moments of those, oh, for a second, I forgot that life is different. And so we'll be constantly reminded. And when we're reminded that life is different, the risk is that we um, end up in a little bit of a loop 
around trying to figure out what we're feeling, where am I right now, what do I need to do? And that interruption is the thing that's going to disturb us and it's going to make us feel tired. It's going to make us feel like there's something here that I can't quite get a grip on. And so I think part of it is around being tolerant around that and understanding that this is going to be with us for a wee while now and it's going to take us a while for this to be normalised. And thinking about that from the from the child's perspective, perhaps entering back into the education system, they'll also have a kind of like an entry into this new environment. They'll be in that environment for a few hours and then they'll exit back out into trying to find their parents in a meeting place, which isn't by the school gate because there's going to be procedures around trying to keep parents apart from each other. So they're going to be going in and out of environment, which is going to feel quite different for them too. It's going to be different to the schooling arrangements that they had beforehand. There's going to be a lot of overlap to what they experienced before, but there's going to be some subtle differences too. So I think being tolerant and understanding that we may not know what we need until we've been in this environment for a while. We may surprise ourselves with our reactions. And just being open that this is a possibility that there are going to be different needs emerging that may be mysteries to us right now. There are also different personalities, Saab, and we need to make room for all of them. There are people who remain highly anxious, even as we get down to, you know, three lots of zero new cases over the last week. The new cases we've had for the past two weeks now, I think, have all been able to be traced. And... um, you know, people, there are still people balking at going back to school. Uh-huh. We need good systems to reassure people. I think that's really important. We need good systems and good plans. But also there are different personalities. There are people who are naturally struggling to, to think this is okay and there are others who are going, for goodness sake, let's get on with it. And we need uh-huh. to respect both. Yes, I agree with you. We do. Uh, and there may be a, a wider thing that's being that may be at play as well, which, again, we, we probably don't have a good grip off at the moment. And that's our appetite for risk. And it may be, you know, yes, we do have a particular, you know, I'm not the sort of person who perhaps is going to be, I, I was, but I was, I'm not now the person who's going to jump off a bungee. Um, I jumped out of planes and stuff like that. I'm not going to do that now because my appetite for risk has changed after having children. You know, everything changes. Now, for a lot of people, this may be a disruption point for them in terms of their own appetite for risk. And I think that that's okay. It may be a short-term thing, but it also is something that we need to think about in terms of institutions as well. How do we approach the world after having been through an experience like this? How do we set ourselves up to understand and get an objective view of risk? Now, the thing about anxiety is that we tend to overestimate how likely it is that something bad will happen to us. So that's one aspect of it. And then the other other aspect is, is that we underestimate our ability to cope with it if it does happen. And so we may have lost our radar a little bit on both of those aspects at the moment. So one of the things that we can do is to almost to try to get to know our anxiety. This may be a new aspect of our anxiety, even for those people who may have experienced anxiety or lived with anxiety in in their lives before. So keeping a diary is a really good way of getting to know that when it's at its best, when it's at its worst, and then you can start to objectively see the patterns and then plan our weeks or days to then proactively manage that anxiety. So one, one task is to be able to tolerate that and understand that it is a normal reaction. 
But the other thing is then taking small steps to face what it is that we're worried that we won't be able to cope with. And that's something called graded exposure. And that helps to slowly build your capacity, your confidence and your ability to cope with the things that you may be avoiding. And that's the avoidance is a response to that fight or flight uh, message that our limbic systems is set, sending. It's either to kind of to fight uh, or to get away from or just to kind of like stay still and be, and be paralyzed. And that's the danger here is that we end up in a paralyzed state or we end up in an avoidance state. And then that actually rewards our anxiety and it teaches us that actually this is the way to deal with it. Will there be um, an immediate transition, especially around going back to school? Because I think the other thing that can happen is that, I mean, being, being isolated is not good for the human psyche full stop. It's great to be around friends. It's great to physically hug friends. It's great to do activities that you love and to play sport. And all those little signals to ourselves that everything is well um, have been less available. So will, as those things begin to happen again, will we begin to build a kind of instinctive trust again? But are we going to have, for some people anyway, a, a bit of a challenge this first little transition? Big transition, going back to school, actually. Yes. Um, I think that that's, it's going to be up and down. I think that um, there's going to be the delight of actually being able to be with your peers, uh, whether that's at work or for children at school. I think that that's going to be amazing and it's going to be delightful to see. And then the little things that are, are going to change or the big things that have changed will start to kind of present themselves. And adapting to those um, little by little is something that we're going to have to kind of change and and um, feel like they're becoming normalised because we're going to be here for a while. Even if we get down to level one, there are still things that are, are going to be different for the next few months um, before anything changes. So I think it's important to understand that we're going to um, have ups and downs as we go through this process. And children... We know that when they're feeling upset um, or when they're finding things difficult, one of the things that they can do is to regress a little bit uh, and feel like their um, their coping skills have um, perhaps gone down a notch. They, they lose access to the repertoire of things that they may have developed and they fall back to the stuff that they've known for the longest periods of their life. And so helping them to access and to do the things that they were capable of doing before they go back into this new school environment um, is going to be important. And that only is really going to come with that um, building that psychological safety. So really the messages around washing your hands and keeping your safe from the thing that uh, we've all been trying to prepare ourselves uh, from uh, and defending against and also the physical distancing is going to be important. I'd like to pay just just a, li a little bit of attention also to the teachers and the school systems here that are going to be coping and dealing with this situation. They're going to be playing an incredibly important leadership role for hours of our children's lives when they are going back into the school environment. And they were beforehand, but I, I think perhaps now there's a different appreciation of what it is that they do and how it is that they help to lead our children through difficult times, as well as teaching the curriculum. And I think that um, given that teachers are also going to be physically distancing from themselves, I think it's worth paying attention to how the education system is 
is going to be supporting our teachers and our principals who are going to be going through this over the next few weeks and months uh, in conjunction and in partnership with parents too. So it's important that um, we recognise that there's a relationship there between parents and teachers that also needs to be worked upon in order to create that psychological safety. You mentioned a really important thing about schools and the roles that teachers would play, but is this another thing? Like, this long away from school will have um, affected where children are at, and we know that's going to happen. Students of all ages um, have had their education disrupted. There's no two ways about it. Is part of, of managing this transition well, being realistic about that and not thinking this is permanent damage and, and just not adding that as another anxiety? Yeah, I think so. I think it is worth just being a little bit um, realistic about this. You know, we're relatively lucky, I think, in New Zealand compared to some other places which have been in lockdown for a longer period of time or maybe in lockdown for longer periods of time, even, even now. Um, I think that this is a relatively short interruption. And I think it is really important to pay attention to how we create that sense of psychological safety so that kids aren't worried and, and have all their cognitive space taken up by worry such that they can't pay attention to the information in the curriculum that's being presented to them, that's being taught to them, that they're exploring themselves. In order to explore and to learn effectively, they're going to need that sense of psychological safety. They're going to need a safe space to process their experience over the last seven weeks. That is going to be just as important a task uh, in order to facilitate learning for children as well as re-engaging with the curriculum again. What are the, what are the, um, the, uh, the other component of this, I guess, is that we've got this sort of generalised anxiety, and we've talked about this the whole way through, which is what everyone's experiencing. But there are also, there's also a secondary disruption for so many families, which is the financial stress and the emotional stress mm of um, businesses that are struggling or closing and jobs that are being lost. And that's a double whammy. Um, and again, what can we do to help ourselves and help our children through the most incredibly stressful, worrying and, you know, challenging times? Hmm. Yeah, and, and that is certainly something I think that's going to become more apparent as we re-engage socially again. I mean, we will have talk to people over the phone, we would have uh, known what's going on in terms of businesses, in terms of uh, understanding the social and economic consequences. But as we walk through the streets and we see the businesses that are still closed or furloughed or in hibernation, as kids talk to each other and they find out about what's been going on in their lives and, the, and their parents as well as they share that information, then this becomes real in a very different way. And we know from the uh, research is that it's the secondary impacts after any kind of emergency or a disaster where you have the things like the social and economic consequences of perhaps the measures that were taken um, or policies that were put in place to deal with the immediate threat. That's the stuff that really starts disrupting and can take a while to feed through. And so I think it is important that, you know, if you're working um, for agencies that we understand that we need to keep pushing through the aid and the information and the assistance that is available for people who find themselves in this position so that they can keep afloat. Now, having people's basic needs met, and that includes financial security, 
becomes really, really important for um, children's well-being. They, they can sense when things are, are changing or they may hear conversations that you're having that you may not be aware that they, they understand and they're listening to too. So, and that's not to put too much pressure here on parents, but just to understand that everybody knows that it's the social and the economic circumstances that are be going to become ever more important as we travel forwards um, through this coronavirus journey. And it is important to make sure that you are aware and taking up any offers of assistance that are available to you, because that then helps to provide the stable uh, base and platform from which you and your family and your children are then able to operate with that sense of psychological safety. So yes, it's really important to, to contribute to that. Thank you, Saab. Saab Johal, psychologist.